Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering politics in a divided country. So Donald Trump upended a lot of norms in America, but one of the things that he changed dramatically was the way that journalism writes about politics. Um, it got a lot of newsrooms rethinking how to approach politics, how to do it better, how to do it differently, what to, what to say, what they can't say. Um, and this fallout is still continuing. In fact, the latest print issue of CJR is called Reset, and it's about rethinking how we cover politics in America. Um, there's a terrific piece in the magazine about how all this has played out at the Wall Street Journal, which is a place that I worked at for 10 years and have a lot of thoughts about and a lot of questions for the writer of that piece, Adam Fiore, who joins us now. Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. The terrific read. Um, yeah, I'm really, t- tell me first what it was like to report that story. Like how, I mean, my experience working at the journal is that, was that people there are really sensitive to outside media attention, um, maybe more so than other news outlets. What was it like to report the piece? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was fun. It felt like I was reporting on the Kremlin or something because there was, I found particularly amongst a portion of the national and political reporters, there was a lot of sort of seething discontent and frustration at the level of um, scrutiny uh, that they got, they'd been getting from some of the top editors. Uh, so, and there seemed to be a lot of people wanted to talk about it, but they were terrified. People thought that um, the news corp was going to, um, you know, scan their email Everybody, I mean, I guess it's normal. This has happened in other stories I've done from CJR, but everybody wanted to contact me on Signal. You know, people didn't, I made the mistake initially of naively emailing some people on their Wall Street Journal emails and I I wouldn't hear back. And then maybe I'd hear back surreptitiously through another means. And, uh, and a lot of people put, I didn't even, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm naive and inexperienced with Signal, but you know, people used all sorts of features to make their comments disappear after a couple hours. And I don't know, it was just very cloak and dagger. And what do you, I, attribute, what do you attribute that to? Uh, just, I mean, it's a very uh, editor driven paper and they have this standards department. And um, so it just, it seems like there's a lot of negotiations with uh, editors over uh, what they can get into the paper when it's politically controversial. And, uh, and also, yeah, it's an editor driven paper. I mean, it seems like they, they, they go out of their way to kind of discourage a star system. Um, and then also, uh, I I don't know, there's just a perception that there'll be retaliation, I guess, against people that people will be labeled troublemakers. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure why that is exactly. But uh, but some of the people, you know, I, I tried really hard to get reporters on the record and uh, and, you know, and, and, and almost as soon as I reached out um, to the Washington Bureau, um, an email went around from the Washington Bureau chief telling people not to talk to me unless they cleared it through comms, which most people took as a uh, message that they really couldn't speak to me 
uh, you know, and, and say what they thought. But within just like 24 hours of that email going out, three or four people read it to me over the phone. And it may, it seemed to make some people want to talk to me even more. Um, so it seemed to backfire in that respect. And then, um, and, and, and the journal itself, the comms department was, they were very responsive. They got me on the phone with Matt Murray. They got me on the phone. I kept asking to speak to reporters and they kept giving me other people, uh, you know, editors and people in standards and people in marketing. Some people I wanted to talk to, but, um, but it seemed like, uh, there was this, this very negative piece that came out in the New York times from Edmund Lee saying that the publisher, uh, Latour, Almar Latour and, uh, Matt Murray hated each other. And, and, I think, and by the way, Matt Murray's the editor. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that they didn't want to repeat that. So they wanted to get ahead of it. Um, but I also was told that, you know, the CJR story was discussed in the morning meeting and it's just, they, they clear, it was, it was clear that they cared what the CJR story was going to say and that that message was people in, in the journal were aware of that. You know, it's a, I mean, on the one hand, when I read it, um, there's a lot, I mean, I, la- I was there from 1992 to 2002 and I was in Dallas, London, and New York. Um, and a lot of what you write about the culture was the case when I was there. I mean, there is, there is this sense that the journal is this weird sort of Island in New York media. And that a lot of the kind of swirling controversies and obsessions that uh, everybody else is is focused on, the journal is sort of removed from. And on the one hand, it can be kind of good, right? Um, because some of the silliness doesn't doesn't happen there. But um, but there's also like your comment about the star system is definitely true. It's very much an editor driven place. Uh, I mean, when I was there. Um, I mean, you know, it, it was, it would have been, I just can't imagine, um, you know, reporters talking to an outside, to an outside reporter doing a piece on it. It was a very sort of controlling place. So um, a lot of what you write is about how uh, the journal covered Trump and the kind of, I think you, the sanding of the edges, I think is one term that you use. Like talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, well, I just I, I got the sense. I mean, you can read Jerry Baker, who Jerry Baker was, um, you know, the editor in chief before or the managing editor, the top editor prior to Matt Murray. And uh, you can read his columns now. And I mean, I, I read he wrote a column saying that um, comparing the uh, the Pulitzer Prizes to Soviet Medal of Freedom and saying that predicting that people would win it next year for writing um white privilege on a cocktail napkin, you yeah. know? Uh, so he's, he's, he's a, a witty guy, right? But he, he has this total discontent for the mainstream uh, media as dominated by, uh, I guess, the New York Times. And so I think also, I was just going to say, one of the reasons people were reluctant to be seen talking to me is because they don't want to be, I guess, labeled, you know, as an upstart left winger. Uh, but um, that very much seem to seems to have pervaded um the political coverage to a certain extent um and uh you know and it just seemed like um there's just a lot of concern 
uh, amongst some of the political and national reporters as, or, or a lot of sort of conflict uh, about whether they'll be labeled, you know, kind of woke and, and left wing and, and biased in the same way that the, a lot of people see the New York Times, um, certainly the way, I guess, Jerry Baker did and, and some of his deputies. I mean, and by the way, on, on that, was it your impression that the standards in terms of uh, both sides and being seen as completely neutral, completely balanced, were those standards applied unusually to Trump? Or was that the sort of whole, that's the whole approach of the paper in general? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it's the approach of the paper in general, but, um, but, you know, Trump sort of upended the norms of he, he went, he did stuff that was much more extreme and provocative, I guess, to, right. to rile up his base. And, um, you know, and I guess some of the um, reporters in the national and, and political uh, areas um, felt constrained in their ability to kind of call out how absurd what he was doing was at, at certain yeah. points. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was hard for everybody who covers politics to kind of convey this kind of like completely surreal moment that we were living through. And I got to say, on the other hand, there were there were times that like I would get so sick of the Trump story while he was in office that I would like you'd go to the journal and it was like it was like none of that was going on. And there were times when it was kind of refreshing. (laughs) Yeah. but I, I understand your point, which is that they, they I don't think reading it, um, it'll be interesting to read it in, you know, 10 years and see, did they convey the moment that we were living through? And I think the, you know, I think it would be hard. It would be hard to say yes. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me just grab on to something else that you wrote about, which I also, which also resonated with me, which was an obsession with the New York Times. Starting with Murdoch, and I think what is the line saying that what was his line that he wanted to kill them, kill the cripple? New he wanted to cripple them, cripple, cripple. Yeah. So what what is that about? What 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 did you find there? Well, he he, uh, I mean, he wanted to go toe to toe with them and 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 sort of make it more of a, a mainstream paper, I guess, out of the business specialty. So he he, uh, this is Murdoch. He he. Uh, doubled the Washington bureau and, you know, beefed it up and he added a New York section, which he, they recently shut down mm-hmm. and, uh, and they just put more emphasis on kind of setting the national agenda. And it seems like under Matt Murray, they've, they've kind of backed off from that to a certain extent. It's like, you know, almost like it's too controversial to wade into that with a polarized nation. And they've gone back to sort of appealing to people's, you know, financial, concerns, although they still have a, a powerful and, and um, large Washington bureau. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, that was, it seems like that was Murdoch's business strategy at a certain point. And it seems like it, it's still part of that, but, um, but it seems like they backed away from that to a certain extent. But in terms of the, you know, they, they seem to be very aware of um, what they consider the New York Times woke take on politics and, and sort of balancing the record. A, a lot of Reporters complained that, you know, they they felt almost the need to respond to the way the New York Times was covering the story. They weren't just covering it. They were looking at the way the New York Times was covering it and then trying to counterbalance that. That's been a tendency to a certain extent. This whole thing about not wanting to seem woke 
which is their the way they think about it, flies in the face of this other tension they have, which is um, that you know that they're not covering race at all, um, and that in fact there's a lot of discontent that you report on from people on the staff who 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 think this there was an enormous miss here in terms of covering race in the country, right? Yeah, I mean, I just really, I really got the impression that there's a big, you know, the core of the Wall Street Journal's readership is, you know, elderly white men. And they just really don't want to, they don't really don't want to be labeled woke and they really don't want to anger that core readership. So anything that might sort of upset them or feed into this culture war or allow people to, you know, uh, you know, so they're, they're just going out of their way to not upset them. So, you know, like one of the reporters said, we can write about Hispanics buying homes, but we can't write about, you know, white people refusing to sell Hispanic people homes in their neighborhoods. You know, any, anything that touches some of these cultural, you know, third rails, they're, they're very careful about and, and standards gets involved and, um, I don't know, you know, one of the examples um, that I didn't make it into the story, uh, but that I know that pissed off a lot of people in the Washington Bureau was, um, I mean, this isn't necessarily race, but uh, in, in June when, um, you know, when Trump went over to St. John's Church and drew for, and posed for photos, uh, when, when the police moved in and sort of tear gas people, um, the story that ran was, it was very, it was, you know, the entire media was, was uh, talking about the backlash of Trump walking across the St. John's Episcopal church um, with the Bible um, and, uh, and protesters being tear gassed. But the, the wall street journal story, it just, the first paragraph said that it drew broad criticism while garnering praise from conservative backers. And then the second graph is it was a reassuring moment that law and order was res- restored for his backers, right? That wasn't the story that anybody was talking about. Everybody was talking about um, sort of this outrage at the way the protesters were cleared. And so I, I've sort of put what's going on at the journal in this bigger frame of like how political reporters are rethinking their their coverage. Um, how do you, how do you place it? And what do you think about that bigger question of like the need to rethink how we cover politics? I mean, one of the things that was interesting about the journal, particularly under Jerry Baker, is that um, he didn't think that it was the role of the newspaper to call out Trump for, quote unquote, lying. You know, people were having that debate and he took this sort of controversial uh, opinion, which, uh, you know, position which he articulated on television, I think, and which pissed off some of his staff that you couldn't actually maybe label what Trump was saying a lie because that would ascribe uh, motivation to his statements. Um, so, um, you know, they seem to be doubling down on this quote unquote balance and applying their standards team uh, and just a lot of scrutiny to anything that could be, uh, a, you know, questioned uh, as, you know, and questioned by, it seems like Trump supporters as, um, as bias, you know, um, 
which a lot of reporters felt made them overly cautious and watered down, you know, sort of the, their take on reality, you know? So, um, in that sense, um, you know, it, it has led to some interesting discussions in the journal, I guess. Uh, but there's so many, um, so there's so many editors and there's so many people in standards. There's so many people looking at potentially controversial copy that the edges get sanded down and there's a lot less freedom, I guess, for con- potentially controversial stories for reporters to kind of express their own impression of things. Um, and, and I heard a lot of complaints, you know, people saying that Matt Murray was, um, personally line editing their copy, particularly out of, I guess, um, out of Washington, but, um, also a lot of reporters complained that, you know, it was just hard to get potentially controversial stories into the paper. They eventually got them in, but, um, but sometimes they had to jump through a lot of hoops or sometimes those stories were watered down. Did you, um, were you a journal reader before you started doing this story? Yeah, I was uh, reading that. I, I did subscribe. Um, what have you but, made? Uh, have you read these Facebook stories? Yeah, those are great. Yeah. I mean, I found that uh, actually I, I found that at first, you know, uh, when I was talking to people outside of of Washington and the national staff, um, any people who are covering business, um, they love it there. And it, and it is, you know, it's there's great journalists there. There's great editing. Um, I think, um, you know, when I was younger, it used to be a writer's paper, right? You went there to learn. You could yeah. do these in-depth things and you can't necessarily do that on a daily basis as much, but these investigations um, are still, um, you know, Pulitzer worthy. Yeah. And, and people love working there when they're not sucked into this controversial politicization uh, that's going on in our society right now. Yeah. And they also did the Theranos stories, which are amazing. Yeah. And I mean, some of the, my favorite books that I've read, I, I read Bad Blood by John Carahu. And I also uh, read, um, you know, the uh, they did a great book called Billion Dollar Whale, you know, on the uh, the scandal involving the Malaysian Sovereign yeah. Wealth Fund. I mean, they've done great investigative stuff and they have great um, investigative reporters, yeah. um, but they're not unleashing that level of aggressiveness uh, in Washington as much, I think. And anytime you get to a, a hot button issue, like, like religion or social media or anything that's been sort of put at the top of the um, national agenda by, you know, during the Trump years, um, just a lot of, a lot of eyes on it. And, a, you know, an army of editors, um, yeah. which uh, no reporter really likes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. um... I don't know. I mean, it's, um, it, it was, it was, it was really interesting to read. I mean, I still have a lot of friends there. I have a lot of, um, fondness for the place. Uh, but I do think that, you know, the country became so focused and obsessed with politics and it was, that just ended up being the thing that they couldn't quite, they couldn't quite figure out. Um, and now maybe that we're less focused on that they'll it'll you know their their kind of sweet spot will swing back into something else 
as as a, a former newspaper reporter myself, and I, I did cover Congress in the '90s, uh, and um, and then worked at the Boston Globe a bit, um, and worked on a big investigative project there. You know, reporters they just love to do accountability journalism and break news, and it seems like there's the opportunity to do that at the Journal. Uh, you know, like like you pointed out with this Facebook story, and you know John Carreyhew and the Theranos story. But it's a lot harder to do in Washington. I just heard that again and again in Washington and, and nationally. It's uh, the the accountability journalism, which is so satisfying and which people really want to do. And which, you know, the Trump era, the early Trump area, because he was pushing so many norms, was crying out for. People just felt continuously stymied in their ability to do that by because of the paranoia of and the 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 editor heavy interventions uh, on any story that sort of tied into the, the, um, the, you know, the seething controversies on, on a national scale. And, uh, people just found that really frustrating and, and demoralizing. And they also found it, uh, kind of embarrassing, particularly under Jerry Baker. But I think that's continued a little bit. Um, there, there was just less freedom to maneuver, and and do the kind of accountability journalism that um, that the Trump administration was crying out for for a long time. Uh, I mean, is so it your that's, sense, that's what I heard a lot of. Is it your sense that uh, the temperature is just kind of cooled off there in general in terms of the staff and these conflicts with the with the editors? Well, it's hard to say because um, you know I, I was last working on this story in kind of the spring, so I don't know what's happened in in the summer, but. Um, People were pretty agitated back then, I got to say. Uh, and and like I said, I mean, I just poked a little bit and then all sorts of people reached out to me. Like there was, there's a bunch of disgruntled people there who think there's a problem and who, um, who want there to be changes. Yeah. Um, Adam, it was a great piece. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Thanks for assigning it to me. You can read um, the rest of our pieces on the need to reset politics coverage in our print issue, which is also available online at cgr.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and read our daily email newsletter, The Media Today. Thanks for listening. See you next time.